0: Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Speaking of Theology in the Raw and speaking of support, if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. That's patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. If you have been blessed, challenged, angered, or um, made really, really happy by listening to the show and you just, for whatever reason, want to support the work that I'm doing at Theology in the Raw then I would gladly receive your support. In exchange, you get access to premium content like once a month blogs and podcasts and other goodies that come your way through patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Okay, my guest on the show today is Beckett Cook. I met Beckett, gosh, what was it? I think about six years ago, back in 2014, 2015 sometime. And, um, we, we only spent a little bit of time together. We were both speaking at, uh, uh, a church in San Francisco and we had dinner together with some friends and, um, and I haven't really kept up with Beckett over the last six years or so. I was really blown away that evening when I heard him speak, uh, primarily just from his testimony. His testimony is incredible. It's just one of those stories that just, it it just strengthens your faith. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's just, yeah, you hear it and you're like, if there is even an ounce of truth to this story, then I'm more excited to be a Christian. Now, um, you know, Beckett's story, like anybody who has a story that involves homosexuality and Christianity. Okay. Let's just say if your story involves, includes homosexuality and Christianity, then you're controversial. Okay. So let's just get that out in the air. Now um, Beckett's story is, is again, controversial. We talk a lot about that uh, 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 controversy. And I would say it's, it's um, the, the controversy that might surround Beckett's story um, has to do, I would say, with the radicality of his conversion experience. And he's going to use, you know, language that might be offensive to some of you. You know, he's going to talk about, you know, being gay as something of his past, that he got saved out of homosexuality and that he would never refer to himself as gay today, even though he would still, as he says, you know, struggle with uh, same-sex attraction. But even he says in this podcast that for him, it's it's a, a really slight minor kind of buzz in the background. It's just, it's not an overwhelming kind of experience for him. Now I do have many other friends and and you probably do too, where, you know, no matter how hard they have pursued Jesus, you know, their same sex attraction is (laughs) just as um, robust and strong uh, as it always has been. Um, And for Beckett's story, it hasn't been now. Now he, he's very clear, you know, he, it's not like he's gone through some kind of like, um, conversion therapy experience where he's gone from like gay to straight. He says, I'm not attracted to women, but my same sex attraction is just not nearly as, as an issue as it, as it used to be. So, um, I, you know, I, knowing that that kind of story can be very controversial, you know, I remember reaching out to Beckett because I, I just, I, I, I really enjoy him and his his voice, and he's a wonderful, uh, lovely guy, and um, I... I remember thinking like, gosh, if I have him on the podcast, he, he you know, I know there's going to be some people that are going to be like, no, you can't have him. You know, I'm going to cancel you out, you know, but I, I, I don't care about that stuff. I'm like, no, I want, he's got a great story. He's got much to say. He's on fire for Christ 11 years after his conversion experience. He's kind, he's generous, he's forthright, he's courageous, and he's got an amazing testimony that just shows off the glory of Christ. And for that reason, I'm so excited to have that. on the show. So please welcome to the show the one and only Beckett Cook. Okay, I'm here with uh, my friend, I'll say my friend, even though we only hung out once uh, five years ago, but with uh, Beckett Cook. Beckett, thanks so much for uh, being on Theology in a the for the first time.
1: Good to be here, Preston. Thank you for having me.
0: So, why don't we, uh, for our, our uh, my audience um, who maybe hasn't read your book, um, which you know I don't, I don't know what percentage that is, but why don't you start with just which your, your story, like you know, be, before you met Jesus and and in that moment, in that coffee shop moment, literally where you had an <laughs> encounter with Christ, or I guess it was you know shortly after. Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I was uh, born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and I you know at a very young age. I don't remember exactly how young I was, but it was young. And I, I knew that I was attracted to the same sex. And I, and in Dallas, and I was raised in the Catholic church. Uh, I went to Catholic Jesuit schools my whole life. And, it, and it, it was very much frowned upon to be gay at that time. Like it wasn't like celebrated like it is now. Um, so I had to keep it this deep, dark secret for, you know, many, many years. and. And it was it was like this strange kind of phenomenon because I was, you know, one thing on the outside to all my friends at school, but on the inside I knew that I there was like a secret and that I was attracted to the same sex. So that was a weird dynamic. But in high school, I ended up becoming best friends with someone who was gay and we came out to each other and that was a game changer. We ended up going to gay bars together. I mean, we were, like, 15 years old, going to bars, going to clubs and in Dallas. And I just remember walking into these clubs and feeling like these are my people. Like, that I'm, I felt kind of like this, like I could finally breathe or something. Like, because I, even though in school I was popular and, you know, I had a lot of friends and I went steady with girls and everything, it was, I just felt like no one really understood me and then when once I got into these these kind of places like bars and clubs and stuff I I was like okay these these are the misfits of the world and they get who I am and they're going through the same thing I'm going through and so that was a huge turning point for me and then the same thing I went off to college and I ended up becoming best friends with a guy in college and we came out to each other and it was like this whole thing and and uh and so I had another, so in college, I also had a confidant that I could you know, talk to and I still wasn't out in college. I, I had a few friends that knew about it, but uh, I was definitely not out in college. Um, and then after college was when it, there was a really big turning point because I moved to Tokyo for a year hmm. with my best friend from college. And during my time in Tokyo, he, his friend from Texas came to visit us for a week, and that friend and I fell in love. And that was kind of like when everything shifted, and I, and that's when homosexuality as my identity was completely cemented. I knew that's when I came out to everyone. I came out to my family, my friends. Like, there was, after that, it was like, okay, this is definitely who I am, it's never gonna change. Because before in, in elementary school and high school, I thought it was kind of like a. I thought it was like a phase I was going through. I didn't think it was going to be like this lifelong permanent thing. Mm. But after that first kind of relationship I was in, uh, I, I felt that it was uh, this was who I was for sure, and my this was my full identity, and so. Um, so my yeah, my parents. <laughs> My parents, when they found out, they were super lovely about it. My parents were, you know, believers, but, and they believed it was a sin, but they were, they were very just lovely and sweet about it. My, my mother cried. My father, you know, kind of asked me if, if I was angry at him for anything, if, or if he did anything wrong. And I was like, dad, no, this is who I am. It's not a big deal. And, um, so they were always very supportive and loving of me and and um and I was enrolled it's this is a wacky thing but I was enrolled in law school and dental school of course but, <laughs> which is so funny cuz I applied to all these graduate schools when I was after college and um I got into dental school and law school at SMU law school in Dallas and and Baylor dental school in Dallas and I but I just right before classes started, like a week before, I was like, I'm moving to LA to pursue my dreams. Like, just, you know, a stupid thing to do. Um, don't ever do that. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, so I moved to LA. And and then when I got here, you know, I, I got into a really fun crowd of, of friends, they were all super ambitious and smart and hilarious. And they were all writers, producers, actors, directors, Mm -hmm. and they all became really successful in their fields. And, um, and we were always kind of like, you know, going to, we were invited to all the parties, you know, all the, the premieres and the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the Grammys. And so I would just kind of find myself at all these parties with every, you know, every week with, and, and, you know, I would go to Ariana Huffington's house and have cocktails, and or Prince's house and watch him perform in his backyard for three hours. And so, I had this these kind of amazing experiences.
0: Real, real quick, how how did you get into that? I mean, that that's just because your friends were in the industry, or were you 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 became a a not fashion designer, right? What what was your no? I was a
1: I, so I started off as a, a like a writer acting a writer and an actor. Okay. And the the writing kind of was was difficult. I sold a couple of projects to, um, to one to Comedy Central and one to uh, this production company who produced The Simpsons. And but everything kept like not taking off. Uh, like okay. with the acting, I did super well in commercials. Like I, I did a ton of commercials, hmm. but like the other like TV or movies, like it, it wasn't like happening. And okay. so then I fell into set design, production design for fashion magazines and for fashion um, ad campaigns. So ah, I, okay. I did fashion shoots for, you know, Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and for Gap and Old Navy and, you know, YSL and all these brands. And so that's where I really flourished kind of. That's when I, you know, for the last, you know, 20, 15 to 20 years. That's where I really kind of flourished as a, you know, as a, as an occupation, as a career. Okay. And then, um, but the reason we were, so my friends were all just, a lot of my friends were, well, they were all from Brown university or Princeton. And so they, they were all very connected to and one of them was like Tatiana von Fürstenberg so they were all like fa- kind of fancy friends <laughs> and so they they that's why we were always invited to these kind of really sort of glamorous events and um and and so and i loved it and i thought you know and i thought that's what life was all about because i knew that god was not an option for me because i was gay and so hmm. god was the, i god was not even on the, on the table and no one ever mentioned God in my group, friend group. And, um, and there were in my group, there were, you know, Minnie driver was part of our group and she, I, we watched her go from basically not being known at all to becoming a movie star overnight. You know, like we saw, we watched her go through goodwill hunting and all that. Hmm. And, um, and so I had all these kind of extraordinary experiences and I thought, okay, this is what life's about. It's about, you know, finding true love, which and I had five serious relationships with different guys, like over the years, uh, having these great experiences and meeting all these people and dinner parties with Meryl Streep and you know Tom Hanks and all these things, and and then um, kind of making them, you know, making it in Hollywood was those. Those were the three goals, and so I thought this was this is what life is about, like Socrates says, know thyself. I just felt like the purpose of my life is really just to know who I am and to have these really great experiences. And and that lasted for a long time. It lasted for, you know, I don't know, 12 or so years before I started to wonder what life was all about. I mean, I always wanted to know the meaning of life, but I knew that God was not an option. So... I didn't know how to find it. And I, you know, I, as I, in my book, I talk about this. I, you know, I went, when I was in New York or London, I always went to the theater to really serious plays, you know, by Tom Stoppard and Eugene O'Neill and Tony Kushner and all these guys, Harold Pinter. And, and I thought, Oh, I can just, you know, these guys are going to give, you know, they, they, they understand what the meaning of life is. They're so smart. They're so brilliant. But then they never did. Like I just would leave the theater frustrated And I would go to, you know, every time I was, I would go to museums all the time in New York and and, and Europe. And, and that's kind of like what sort of fulfilled me, I guess, if you could say spiritually, I was Mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, this is what, you know, this is kind of a spiritual experience to go into uh, the Tate Modern in London and, and see these beautiful, like amazing conceptual art pieces. And so that's what – but, but after a while, that starts to kind of uh, wear out. And, 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 the, and the kind of postmodern relativism starts to weigh down on you. And it – because, you know, there's no objective truth in, in that philosophy. And so you start to just get kind of exhausted by not knowing what is true, what's not true, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad – so it, it finally caught up to me hmm. and, two, and, and then in 2009, March of 2009, I was at, in Paris at Fashion Week. Uh, I used to go to Fashion Weeks in Paris and New York, and I was in Paris and, and uh, I went to a bunch of the shows and the after parties and um, I was at one party after one night in Paris and I just, everyone was there from the fashion world. People were drinking champagne dancing and I just felt totally empty Mm. and it was kind of the first time I ever had that feeling of total emptiness and I was like oh my gosh what am I going to do for the rest of my life (laughs) like I can't I can't continue just going to all these functions and parties and events and you know all this stuff like and I, you know, I had gone through so many, you know, uh, boyfriends, and I, I knew what the arc was for each relationship. It was like the same sine wave, um, and uh, and so I just was like, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Like Peggy Lee would say. Um <laughs> so Real quick, can you
0: unpack that that arc? Like, what, what, what were you referring to? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean. All of my relationships with guys were two years long. The first six months were just this, you know, extreme, like, romantic, intense, you know, period. Mm-hmm. And then the second six months was still nice, but it was kind of like sort of plateauing off. And then the last this, the last year of the relationship started to, it would just decline mm-hmm. into... And all of the relationships, um, because when you don't have like a covenant that, you know, God designed (laughs) for a man and a woman, and there's, there's, you, there's, especially in gay male relationships, there's, it's, it's a quid pro quo situation all the time. It's like, if you're not if you have if you're not doing well in your career or your biceps aren't good, like I'm out. You know, it's like it's very like everything's constantly in a state of insecurity and, and kind of neurosis because you're there's no real protection for the relationship. And there's no real covenant of in the relationship. And so at any minute, at any given moment, like they could leave or you could leave. And it, so it's very unstable. And, um, and so that's how, that was kind of the arc of all of my relationships mm-hmm. with guys. And, um, and so I, I, you know, again, like that was part of just like, I know guy cause with every new relationship with a guy, I'm not kidding you. I literally thought this guy is going to save me. Like this guy, okay, the last guy didn't work out, but this guy for sure is going to be the one who fulfills all my, you know, fulfills me and, and like makes, gives me purpose and meaning in life. Kind of like a messiah. And so I, I really had, like, I was super, I had this bizarre optimism when it came to relationships. and and uh, And now just looking back on them, I'm like, what was I thinking? But anyway... So I had that kind of meltdown in Paris that night and got back to LA a couple of days later, got busy with work and, uh, kind of forgot about it. Not, and, and then six months later, I, that's when I was at the coffee shop hmm. in Silver Lake and in Los Angeles. And that's when I, I was with my best friend who was gay. Uh, he, you know, he well i can't say what he does for a living um <laughs> because uh, he's very weird about me talking about him but he and i would hang hang out every weekend we would go to brunch we would go shopping we it was like gay church like that's that's what gays do all the weekends and so and then we went and we would hang out at this coffee place and silver like and uh that that one Saturday, or I don't know if it was a Saturday or Sunday, but we were there, and we noticed a, a table next to us with young people with Bibles on the table, mm-hmm. and that was a really kind of shocking moment because I had never seen a Bible in public in l a, huh. and I'd never really met a Christian. I'd never met a Christian in l a for sure and, um, and, not, and, and and I looked at my friend. And he just, we kind of looked at each other like, what are they doing? This is bizarre. (laughs) Like, especially at that place in Silver Lake, it's like, you see like Planned Parenthood bags. You don't see Bibles. (laughs) You see like tote bags with Planned Parenthood. Um, So it was really a strange, strange experience. And we ended up getting into... My friend loved to sort of engage in controversial topics, and so he was—he urged me to talk to them. And I, at first, I resisted, but then I, I just turned and I said, "Hey, are you guys Christians?" You know, it's kind of like a Christian's fantasy of like an atheist asking them, "You know, what do you believe? What's the gospel?" I literally answered that. Um, and at that point in my life, I was, I was, kind of, I was an atheist because. I was no longer an agnostic. I was really, I really did believe at that point in my life that the Bible was a myth. It was just like an ancient myth. And I just, I, I really didn't believe that God existed, but I turned to them and we got in this conversation and I, and they told me they were evangelical Christians. They went to this church called reality LA in in Hollywood. And, uh, we. It was a great conversation. I said, you know, what do you believe? I grew up Catholic. I don't really remember. Like, just tell me what your beliefs are. What? What? What do you believe? And they they explained what they believe. I you know I think they told me the gospel. Maybe I can't remember if they if they really um, explained that to me. But because growing up in the Catholic Church and, and, and even in Catholic school, we never we never focused on the gospel. It was weird. Like we would like, you know, we would study Thomas Aquinas's five arguments for the existence of God or something. It was never like, what is the gospel? (laughs) So it was always really elusive growing up. Um, And so uh, anyway, they invited me to their church the following weekend, but of course I asked them, you know, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, We believe it's a a sin. And I I just remember thinking like, whoa, like that's, I loved how honest they were Hmm. and they didn't try to, um, you know, beat around the bush. They just were very blunt. And the reason I accepted their answer instead of just like walking away or just, you know, saying like, you guys are, are crazy and you need therapy, um, is because of that night in Paris, where I just had that moment, and I just thought, I thought, what if you know what if God does exist? and it's, I mean, there's a very slim chance he does exist, and if if he does exist, what if homosexuality is a sin, hmm. and what if I've built my entire law, life on a false foundation, and I don't know it and so um, that went through my head as I was listening to them. And, and so I kind of just accepted what they said. And, um, and then I had a whole week to, to think about whether I was going to go to this church. They just gave me the address of the church. And, um, and I, so I thought about it, you know, and I really didn't know during that week if I was going to go or not. I went, I was kind of went back and forth with it. And then the following Sunday I wake up, and I just like I guess I'm going to this church, you know. I just felt this kind of compelled to go, and it met it met in a it meet, meets in a high school auditorium, a public high school auditorium in in Hollywood, and so I had never really experienced that before. I I, I was used to stained glass windows and and smoke and you know candles and things, uh, vestments, but this was in a very plain, you know. Brand new auditorium, and I just was like, whoa, this is interesting! Like, this is very—it was kind of refreshing to walk into a very plain space." Huh. And um, and so the worship music was—the worship band was was playing music, and people were singing. And I remember thinking, you know, "Oh my gosh, Christian music! I can't, I forgot that existed." <laughs> and 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 it I, it just. I had seen it satirized on like HBO shows so many times that I just was like, Oh no, like the Christian music, I forgot. But then I liked it. I I liked the music actually. And I was like, Oh, this is very tasteful and good and well done. And I sat down, Tim Chaddock was the pastor and he came out uh, and preached for an hour on um, (laughs) Romans chapter 7. That's so dramatic,
0: yeah, an hour-long, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) He loves his hour-long sermons, And he uh, was in the middle of a series on Romans for two years. Mm -hmm. And so he was going like verse by verse in Romans. And he was on Romans chapter 7. And he preached, and he was preaching and preaching. And I was like, what is going on? This is the gospel? And... I I just remember everything he was saying was resonating as true in my heart and my mind and I didn't know why. And then um after the sermon he invited people to come to the to go to the side of the auditorium there were people on the prayer ministry who could pray for you and I I, so I went over to this guy on the side and I, you know, it was kind of like this risk I took. Cause I was like, if I do this, this could be humiliating. People are watching me. Probably the, the people who invited me here are probably watching, but I walked over to this guy and I said, Hey, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. Hmm. And he prayed for me and it just felt very loving and caring. The prayer was just was felt, it just felt very powerful. And I walked back to my seat. I sat down and the rest of the, everyone else was standing up and, and singing the worship music for the next 25 minutes. I sat down because I was so overwhelmed by everything. And, and because when Tim was preaching, I was just, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat because I was like, this, whatever this guy is saying is true. And I don't know why it's true. And uh, I didn't want him to leave. I wanted him to continue preaching cuz I just was like this is like the most amazing thing and it was kind of it turned everything I understood about religion on its head and I was like what this is the gospel like it, it was the first time in my life that I really heard the gospel and understood it like in a in a very visceral way and and so As I sat, when I sat down, that's when everything happened. The Holy Spirit suddenly just like like overwhelmed me. And God just revealed himself to me in that moment. And he was like, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven's real. Hell's real. The Bible's true. Welcome to my kingdom. (laughs) And I was like, whoa. And it was kind of like Isaiah in the temple when he sees God's holiness. And I just came undone. I felt, I just started sobbing. I I was, I cried harder than I've ever cried in my life. And for the next 25 minutes, I was just crying and crying and crying. And it was like this, it was the most kind of cathartic cry I've ever had. And it was like this mix of joy over meeting Jesus and also kind of like sorrow over my sins. But it was like more just like joy. It was kind of this, overwhelmed it was like god's presence was so overwhelming and so just tangible that i it just i mean it it just completely crushed me and and so after that after that 25 minutes of just sobbing i the service ended i got in my car came home and i got in bed to take a nap because I was so kind of overwhelmed by everything. And I, and it happened again. God was like, it was kind of like Moses in in the cleft of the rock. When God passes by with his glory, God's like, let me show you some more of my glory. (laughs) And in my bedroom, like I just felt just this huge, like overwhelming presence of God and jumped out of my bed, sobbing again to start bawling again uncontrollably. And I just was like, God, you have my whole life that's it I'm done it's yours and I knew in that moment to I knew in my heart of hearts that um, homosexuality was wrong it was a sin that it was no longer my identity that it wasn't who I was it was a thing in the past and I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future but I didn't care because I just met Jesus and I was like this guy's way better than those guys i'm going with him and uh, so i was just like that was september 20th 2009 hmm. and uh, i've never looked back
0: dude that's so i mean amazing on i mean that's that's not even that, that that's an underst. i can't there's no word to describe how powerful your story is um so you didn't go through any kind of wrestling with like, oh my gosh, what does this mean for my sexuality? And like, you know, I need to figure out what the Bible is. like. It was just more like just intuitive or just like, I know this is wrong. Yeah. That all happened in, in your gospel encounter.
1: Well, yeah, because it, it, it was, it really was kind of like this road to Damascus moment mm-hmm. that was so powerful that all doubt of anything just kind of mm-hmm. vanished immediately. There was no... Yeah, there was no, I didn't need time to, you know, figure out if this was wrong or right. I yeah. like I did it was just like immediate, I knew. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the Bible, and then I read the Bible immediately. <laughs> I couldn't stop reading the Bible. And it was crazy because like, as I say in the book, like the the Bible every word just jumped off the page when I was reading the Bible. It was like, oh my gosh, like, this is true. This is crazy. It's true. And even like, you know, in numbers or Deuteronomy, like I, I just was so just excited every time I read a, you know, a chapter in the Bible, I was so excited. Cause I'm like, I can't believe that this is not only true, but that I'm now a part of this whole story. Mm. And I, I mean, again, I, the first like two, three years, I would just read the Bible and just start crying. Or I would listen to a sermon and just start crying. Like, I just was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I know the meaning of life. Like, I can't believe I know the truth, that there is objective truth. And I can't believe I'm part of this whole story of God's redemption.
0: I want to now shift, not shift, but focus on now your life as a Christian in the last 11 years. Before I do so, though, (laughs) I want to do something a little superficial because I have three teenage daughters. I told them I was having you on and kind of a little bit about your background. They're like, well, does he know so-and-so? Has he met so-and-so? So So can you just... I want to mediate my... fangirls my teenage daughters who have you so you mentioned passing a couple names prince and others who are some other names my daughters are going to recognize that you hung out oh my gosh (laughs) not that it matters this is all fluff and frill but i just entertain
1: me for a second (laughs) oh my gosh every i literally knew everyone i mean Katy perry and um uh who are all the people that's um Natalie Portman. Uh, uh, I read somewhere that you did.
0: You do her set design or something? Who? Natalie Portman.
1: Oh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, I worked with her um, in uh, what's her name? Um, the Voice girl. What's her name?
0: Uh oh. Oh, um, oh shoot!
1: Now I'm blanking. Anyway. Uh, what's her name? Uh oh. Uh, what's her name? Oh my gosh! It's co- Anyway. Yeah. The blonde girl on The Voice. Um. Christina Aguilera. Oh, like I, I did it. Okay. I worked with her at her house. Like we did a shoot at her house. I worked with Paris Hilton several times and I actually was friends with her-ish.
0: Yeah. Like
1: I went to her engagement party uh with when she was engaged to this guy named Paris. <laughs> 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 they were both named Paris. Uh, but oh, then that, wow. they, they called it off. I was friends with um um Rose McGowan, okay. um, oh, who's yeah. now you know, a little unhinged. Uh, I love Rose. Do, do you have uh, any
0: lasting I, friendships from that era of your life? Yeah, like,
1: so Mariska Hargitay is a, a very close friend of mine. She, um, she's the star of Law & Order Special okay. Victims Unit. She's Jane Mansfield's daughter, and okay. she and I were really close friends in L.A. before she booked the show uh, in New York. She, she's been on that show, I don't know, now for like 20 years, yeah. which is crazy. I actually went to the audition with her for that show oh and God. helped her helped her run lines for it. Wow. <laughs> so I responded, and we almost had a child together. Um, we were going to have <laughs> a, she asked me to like have, because she was single and she was like getting close to 40 years old. And we had talks about, you know, just having a baby together but then a few months later after our talk like she um met her husband who she's married to now peter herman and they had they've had several children together so uh that was a weird that was but she and i mariska is is still a good friend um i don't see her that i don't see her very much because obviously she's in new york and um so it's difficult but
0: with, with all um, the people you've hung out with, I mean, the perception from somebody like me has no clue about that world is just nothing but superficiality, selfish, whatever. And I don't know, were there some people that stand out as like, you know what, this was a really good person, you know, like somebody who seemed really genuine, maybe even humble or whatever. Are there Are there any that stand out in your Hollywood days?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say... They were all very I mean because we were friends like they were all very sweet and yeah, and very yeah. um very loving to me and very sweet and and mm. great I mean I never saw them as mean or selfish or okay. evil like I just saw them as like really fun friends and and so um so yeah I I uh I yeah I I uh I still I keep up with some of them um a lot of friends kept up with me un- until the book came out and that the book when the book came out um 6 months ago uh, that's kind of when a, the some of my close friends really kind of cut me off wow um okay. because of that so that, that was kind of a, a weird moment. Um, so,
0: so your first 10 years, so up until the book came out, so you're saved in 2009, book came out 2019. You're still in the same career, right? I mean, you're still in Hollywood as a Christian now, right? I, I mean, What was, what was that like? Like, was that challenging? Was it exciting? I mean, did you have opportunities to share Jesus? And.
1: Oh yeah. It was really exciting. Um, because I had this whole new worldview, mm-hmm. but I was still doing the same job. And so, I mean, I remember just like immediately going on to the set on this one fashion shoot. And the, right after I got saved, this like the next week and telling everyone on the set, oh, my gosh, you guys, Jesus is real. It's the craziest thing. And I told I mean, I was super open about my I would evangelize on every set. i I remember praying like I would pray before. I would get on the set and I would just pray like, God just lead me to the person or people that you want me to share the gospel with today. And he would, he would like open these crazy doors to to all, I mean, I I was evangelizing in Paris Hilton's house, like to the producer of the shoot. And, um, and I I just, and even, uh, Katy Perry, like I, it was funny, we were working on the shoot and I, I was talking to her wardrobe stylist who was gay and he He, and I was telling him all about my conversion to Christ and, and, um, and, uh, Katie was like upstairs getting ready and she was hearing us. We were outside by the pool, but the doors were open and she heard us. And then finally she came out and she was like, okay, the Bible study's over. Let's get back to work. (laughs) Um, and I was like, oh, sorry. But, and then I was on this, um, a really funny moment was I was on this Ugg shoot, uh, you know, Ugg boots. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had worked with them one time before and they all knew I was a Christian because um, my, my assistants were Christians. We always talked about God on the set and they, so it was very, they knew that I was a Christian. And so on the second shoot, we were in Malibu for like a week shooting. And one day the, the, the owner of the, um, the ad agency, she was like, she was, she's really funny. She's still a good friend of mine, but she, um, She was like, oh my gosh, we got to get this shot right now. The light's going down, the sun's going down, and it would be such a sin not to get this shot. And she's like, oh, Beckett, you know all about sin, don't you? (laughs) It's just kind of goading me. And I'm like, yes, actually, I do. And every, like, when I said that, like, everyone on the set just turned and looked at me, like, the photographer, the assistants, like, everyone, the client from UGG. And I was like, yes, I do know about sin, Right now, all of you people are dead in your trespasses, and I'm alive in Christ, and this is how, and, um, and they, and I explained the gospel to them, and they loved it, like, the, the client, after I finished my whole spiel, the, the, the client from from Ugg, she just was like, uh, I'm gonna go get a coffee, and she, like, walked away, but then, I mean, they kept hiring me after that over and over, I still worked with them up until, like, a year ago, and so, so yeah, it was interesting to see that I was super vocal about my faith and I thought that it would affect my career, but it didn't. It, it just, I kept getting more and more jobs. Did they immediately, when they found
0: out that you are a Christian now and that you, and we could talk about terminology, but are, were, whatever, gay, um, did they immediately wonder like, well, how are you a Christian? Like, you know, homosexuality and Christianity doesn't mix. Like, how did that yeah, that, that I imagine that must have so. been a quick place where they went and oh yeah yeah of how course. do they that handle like your the new first, perspective on sexuality i mean that was like the first question i, I
1: was working on a, another ug shoot and the photographer came he he was someone i he, he i had worked with him before and he was from new york and he came in from new york he came on the set and he was like oh beckett how are you doing he was very kind of like, I don't know what his story was. He had a very strange vibe. He was married to a woman, but he seemed super gay. Um, <laughs> but he was like, Beckett, how are you? And I was like, well, I'm, I, yeah, I'm amazing. Like, I don't, I just, you know, and I told him my whole story. I was like, I became a Christian and I mean, you know, my life is totally different now. And he's like, he's like, you can't be Christian and be gay. And I was like, David. I will I will get to that issue with you. I'm not gonna answer that question right now because you're, first of all, you're, why is that your first question, number one? Number two, why don't you ask me like what it's like to know the king of the universe? Like that should be your real question. Number three, I'll get to that answer with you and you know, later in the shoot, maybe tomorrow or the next day, but um, just just know that I'm a Christian now and my you know my life has changed and God is real and Jesus is real. And then eventually we did have a like a real we sat down at the end of the shoot and had a conversation and I told him <clears throat> because everyone asked me that and I and I was very open and honest. I said, Yeah, I that's that's not who I am. I don't live that life anymore. Um and I'll, some people were sort of you know a little freaked out about that and offended maybe but um i think a lot of people respected it and more than more than were offended by it Hmm. they were like wow like he's he's really serious about this and this is like this isn't just kind of him being sort of a nominal christian like he's actually Hmm. walking the walk and and so i yeah i did have to basically tell every because that was the first question everyone asked me like well are you still gay like well what are you know what's the deal i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) but don't you want to know more things besides just about sex like (laughs) do do you want to know the the eternal attributes of god (laughs) they're pretty amazing um
0: so so yeah let's let's dive deep into that though i mean because like um uh, when you said, no, I'm no longer gay, you you might mean something different than that, than what people might assume, right? I mean, because right. um, you – well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you say you're no longer gay, what what do you mean by that? Because I know there's been even in evangelicalism so many debates yeah. and misunderstandings and assumptions and accusations and everything. So I would love – yeah, unpack yeah. what that means
1: for you. So, um, base, so I, I no longer identify – as gay, so I, uh, so I, I would, I would, I don't find it helpful to describe myself with a sin. So I, like people don't just say people don't Christians don't say I'm a gossiping Christian or I'm a greedy Christian or I, so I don't. Why would I say I'm a gay Christian? Because. So I, I, I don't identify with the word gay, and I, I don't want to speak that word over myself, because I, I don't want to speak the like a sinful act over myself all the time. So I never describe myself as a gay Christian. I, if you push me on it, I, and I don't even like to say this really, but I, I if you push me on it, I would just say, I, I'm a Christian who, you know, struggle has, Same-sex attraction. And I have to say, before I was a Christian, my same-sex attraction was at, like, 100%. Mm -hmm. And after I got saved, it went down to, like, 10%. So it's not like this – it doesn't dominate my life or my thought life. Mm -hmm. Um, But but, uh, to be technical about it, I'm not attracted to women. I still have same-sex attraction, vestiges of that, but it's very minimal – and but i'm willing to deny myself taking my cross and follow christ and um and again like i the the gay thing is it's such an identity issue um because like i say in my book there's gay pride parades there's not greek pride parades. Yeah. so it's it's so bound up with identity that i don't want to use a word that identifies myself as a sin. Like, I don't want to do that.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Um, what about, so Well, going back to your conversations with like, uh, people in Hollywood is they're they're trying to wrap their minds around this. Did did they assume that you're kind of this now, um, for lack of better terms, conversion therapy, or now you became straight or whatever. Did they ask those kind of questions? I mean, did they, did they really want to dig deep into the kind of the, technicalities of you know attraction and, and who you're <clears throat> yeah they did
1: they did want to know like are you you know because when i when i would say um i had to like change the word because i would say like oh i you know my conversion and they so they would immediately so, some people would immediately hear conversion and think conversion therapy yeah. or reparative therapy and i'm like no 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 <laughs> i'm talking about conversion from atheism to christianity not <laughs> from gay to straight like uh so yeah, I did have to yeah to there are nuances obviously with all of this, and so I had to explain the nuances of it. And so yeah, I'm yes, I I, I still have same-sex attraction, but I I'm a celibate, I'm a single celibate Christian, and I will be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the bottom line, and that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they understood that once when I explained it.
0: Okay. I imagine, I mean, it'd be, it'd be different for say, you know, a straight person like myself being in Hollywood and then also becoming a Christian and now having a, you know, a, a, a you know, a tradition, converting to a, to even a traditional view of marriage, sexuality, but as a straight guy, that would probably, I'd probably be, it'd probably be w- criticized a lot more, but given your, your story, you probably, can I say get got away with in a sense? I mean, having a view cause you weren't like judging those people out there. You're like, Hey, this is, this is my trajectory. And, who, who are you in a sense to, to question my, yeah, my story, it's like, you know?
1: Yeah. Like how can you, how are you denying my story? You know? Yeah. So there is kind of a, I do, <laughs> I do have a bit of an advantage <laughs> because I, cause I, because I've been there and done that. Like right. I lived that life for 20 years. Like I lived that life since high school. I mean, I was yeah. sexually active in high school. Yeah. Um, and so like, I know I lived that life for a long time. And I know all, I know every part of it. And I went to gay pride parades every year, LA, New York, San Francisco. Like I, I was, uh, you know, I went to gay marriage rallies. Like I was very much a part of that life. And, and so, yeah, it does give me sort of an advantage because it's like, yeah, I, I know what that, I, I've been there and I know that was who I was, but because of the gospel in Christ, like that's no longer who I am. Like, yeah. my affections have changed.
0: Yeah. I want, to, I want to go back to just quickly, and we can leave it alone, the whole, you know, gay identity thing. So I know this has been so disruptive in, in evangelical circles, especially in this conversation. What would you say? So the way, when I explain this, and again, I, I explain it as an outsider, so I'm always really sensitive, giving the impression I know more than I, I do. <laughs> but what what I've tried to explain to people is, you know, there there is a difference between... Um, attraction and lust, for instance, you know, if you, if someone were to ask me, are Preston, are you same sex attracted, opposite sex attracted, or both? Those are really the three options or, or not, or none, I guess. Um, I would say, well, of those, those categories, I'm, I'm, I'm opposite sex attracted now, that technically means I'm attracted to 3.5 plus billion people on the planet. Now, I'm only allowed to really. I thought
1: work. Caligula was bad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so <clears throat> but it's like, obviously, when I say I'm opposite sex attracted, that doesn't mean. I'm lusting after three, million. hopefully not. Otherwise I got some serious issues yeah. that, you know, we could talk about. Um, so, so my, my, you know, same-sex attracted Christian friends kind of explain it in that way saying, look, I'm yes, I'm of those th- on a categorical level. I am same-sex attracted. Now for some people, the term, I would say for people that haven't had the kind of trajectory you've had, that maybe grew up in the church, same-sex yeah. attracted, that didn't actually maybe never have acted on it. Haven't lived in that world. The term gay doesn't, maybe have those kind of real um, layers yeah. of negative connotation for them. Gay is just a synonym for uh, <clears throat> opposite sex attracted and same sex attracted. I'm same sex attracted. Now I think lust is wrong. I think sexual be same sex, sexual behavior is wrong. But for me, the term gay doesn't have that kind of like fundamental kind of identity wrapped up in all this behavior. Um, yeah. Do you think that that's and I get I get that. Just-
1: I get that. It's like a shorthand way of just, saying it i get the shorthandness of it because yeah. it, it's clunky to say i'm a same sex <laughs> such a Christian like yeah. it's just easier to say i'm a gay Christian yeah. like, but anyway go ahead well no no that's helpful so would you say that that
0: um what would you say about how but would you say yeah i think the way you're explaining it is is, is helpful and accurate or whatever um and let, let me just add one more thing because i i'm i am I'm kind of like, I see, you know, there, you you know, the different, I'm not going to name names, but there's within evangelicalism debates about whether someone ever should use the term gay. And, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I understand the concerns of both sides. Really. I just had Wesley Hill on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he explained what he means when he says gay. And he even says, like, I don't think I ever would say I'm a gay Christian. Like come in, I'm a gay, like, I don't, I'm committed to celibacy because Jesus is on the throne of my life. Obviously by gayness is not my central core of my identity, Uh, but for him, the term gay kind of again is a synonym for same sex attraction, is you know, he's, he's fine with it. But then other people, you know, I hear, you know, Rosaria Butterfield or Denny Burke or others who are like point out some of the um, concerns they have with using yeah. this identity marker, even if they don't mean it as a primary identity, like it, identity, any kind of identity marker isn't neutral. Like it does reinforce self perception, and that could be. So I, I'm, I'm in the middle here as a straight guy saying, man, I, I, I hear and understand both concerns. I just wish we, I think sometimes we can, um, uh, I don't know, not, not yeah. try to understand where the other side's coming from and call each other heretics or whatever. I'm like, I just don't think that's helpful. I think we can maintain <laughs> disagreements <clears throat> and dialogue around this this issue without
1: overly dividing. Yeah, over I it. don't get too wound up about what pe- other people, how they describe themselves, but I'm just, this is how I, uh choose to do it for myself because I, again, I don't, um, because I, again, I live that life for so long yeah. and I know what that life it's a very dark world to, it's, I, there, I could go into so many details, but <clears throat> I, I'll spare you that, but it's just a dark world. And, um, I just feel so much freedom in Christ and and I just, I don't want, it's like kind of like, for me, it's like kind of going back to Egypt in a way to say gay. Gay. It's almost like if like the Israelites were like, oh, yeah, I'm an Egyptian Israelite. <laughs> it's like, no, you were free from that bondage. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's the deal.
0: Yeah. Would, it, would it be accurate to say like for you, I mean, the term gay, it's inseparable from the whole package yeah. that it, you, know, you were involved with. Is that, Um, it's, it's nice yeah. for you, it would never be just a, you know, a, a, a subtle synonym for the fact that you might be still attracted to the same sex more than the opposite sex—it it comes with so much, so many layers of assumptions and baggage that you just have distance that rightly yeah. kind of converted from.
1: Yeah, and I also—I mean, I also think it. What I really think is even really was like not not healthy. I think this is actually very unhealthy for people to describe themselves as queer Christians. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not who you are in Christ. You're not a queer person. Like you're you're whole in Christ, and and I, so that 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 when I hear people describe themselves as queer Christians, that really kind of jars me. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and, uh, but yeah. Well, in that
0: I mean, queer. The term queer. I mean, right comes from queer. Um queer theology the whole like postmodern way i mean it, has, it de- that that it definitely has a, an ideological or conceptual yeah. baggage that comes comes with e- even if maybe somebody doesn't understand that they use it in a innocent way i mean queer queer theology queer yeah that's that's interesting um i, I want to go but
1: uh, I, just I just also find that i just find just in general for the for the guys who do describe themselves who the guys who are celibate and who are following Jesus and mm-hmm. following you know everything like i do find the idea of of calling oneself a gay christian it may be fine for that person but it's it, i think it's misleading it can be very confusing and misleading to the public or to other people yeah so it's kind of like it's almost like Paul's, uh, you know, when he talks about the weaker brother or whatever. Uh, it's like don't, don't confuse other people with that because it, it, now, like, people in the church are starting to uh, think, "Oh, okay, so I guess it's okay." I, I don't know. It's confusing. No, that's good.
0: Um, so, your book, uh, "Change of Affection: A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption," came out last year by uh, Tommy Nelson. Um, you, so you made right, and this is basically Did you it's your, Tommy you know? Nelson.
1: <laughs> Tommy Nelson is that the right? Thomas Nelson Tommy, <laughs> Thomas Nelson. yeah i guess you i guess you're on first term oh, me uh, first Tommy, day, we go day. way
0: back to- <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Harpy collins um <laughs> yeah um so it's it's you know documents your testimony right i mean talks about your a lot of stuff you've been talking about so far in the podcast and um you you mentioned that when that book came out a lot of things really changed can you talk about that i mean you're no longer in the career that you have, if were in
1: for so many yeah. years
0: largely because of the book
1: yeah, I mean, the, I mean, first of all, the book is is in two parts. The first part is my story, but the second part is really kind of um, breaking down different concepts theologically about this issue, and really looking examining the issue of homosexuality from many different angles. And also, there's a whole part about you know, uh, for parents and pastors, and and so what to do and what not to do when someone comes out or whatever. Hmm. Um, but yeah, when the book came out. Um, I, it was very, it was, it was weird because it, I, I sent, I wanted to use the real names of my, all of my friends in the book. They're the real first names. And um, so I kind of, uh, what's the word? Just um, innocently kind of just thought, oh, well, of course they'll, you know, sign off on this. So I, I sent my friends the sections they were in of the book and I said, Hey, can you sign off on this? Cause I want to use your real name. And I, I mean, I was stunned at the amount of vitriol or just the amount of just anger that I got back from my, I mean, these were like super close friends and they were like, I don't want to be any part of your book. Like, don't, don't, you're not allowed to mention my name. You're not allowed to. And so I was like, Whoa, okay. Um, So that was really painful during that whole process of of right before the book came out. And then when it came out, my production design agency, um, dropped me as a client and, and, um, they, they didn't say it was because of the book, but they just, it was just weird. The timing was very strange. And, um, they just said, you know, Hey, you know, things are, um, shifting at the agency and i mean i was like one of their star clients you know like and they're like things are shifting at the agency and um i'm taking on like so-and-so's clients because she left and and uh and i know your your book is coming out or your book came out and you're focused on that right now so why don't we just part ways professional ways and i was like whoa okay so that that i kind of expected that because it it, like like I said, it's like when we were, before we were talking, I w- it's like one thing to talk about this, my conversion on the set, but it's another thing to have a book out there in the world and then work on a shoot with Cara Delevingne or Katy Perry or, you know, Miley Cyrus or whatever. And, and then, you know, have them find out like or Jessica Chastain, who I worked with a couple of times, like, the, I mean, if these actresses or pop stars found out about the book during the shoot, it would just be really, it would get ugly. It would get really awkward and ugly. And so, um, so it became kind of untenable. I knew it would become untenable to have the book out and work in this industry. So I lost, I became persona non grata in Hollywood. And, um, uh, but then God just kind of, you know, God just, I knew what he was doing because I went to seminary for four years uh, at Talbot, at Biola, and I knew God was up to something because I, I knew that kind of he was pulling me into this sort of full-time ministry um, to help the church understand this issue biblically, theologically, culturally, and from someone who's been on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and so that's what happened. Like right after the book came out, I just, I've been speaking everywhere around the, the country and, and until the coronavirus hit and then everything right. came to a screeching halt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's kind of like what I think, you know, God is pulling me into full-time ministry.
0: How has the book been received? I'm sure. I mean, like any, time you'd say anything about this topic, it's going to have people that love it, people that hate it, people that, you know, go after you and your friends and tarnish your whatever what, what's yeah. how has it been received what how have you handled or what have been the, what has been the criticisms and how how do you how have you handled that
1: it's been i i've been surprised at how positive the feedback has been it's been really well received there's been a, a couple of squeaky wheels um there's been a few people key people who tried to get the book banned. There was one uh, person who is like a, he's kind of a semi pop star um, who used to go to my church. He tried to get it banned on, you know, he has a ton of followers. He tried to get it banned and on Amazon, which was crazy. I mean, he was really aggressive about it. Banned? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, wow. and, uh, and a few other people were, very upset uh like a very good friend of mine he um he was really I I, like I've never no one in my life has ever talked to me like the way the way he talked to me I mean he said the meanest things to me I've ever heard in my life I mean he was like you're a coward I can't believe you didn't Like you could have done so much for the LGBT community, and you're such a coward. You're a fraud. This is all fake. Like you're a liar. Like I'm just like, whoa, what? Um, And I'm like, I've never like been. I've never been spoken to like that. No, I just it was weird. I've never heard someone talk so speak so angrily towards me. But what's um, the? Because
0: there's nothing in the book that you weren't already talking about for their first be, between that's their, what their i first... said to this guy i was like
1: uh i you know my whole story we talked about it. we had coffee and i told you my whole story i don't understand why you're yeah. now suddenly upset and he uh, i don't know what he's uh, his response was very strange but um
0: is it because yeah, book, they're, they're afraid the book now is going to influence it's one thing for you to hold these yeah. bigoted beliefs yeah. or whatever but it's like uh now the you're book. actually actively
1: yeah, it's almost like now you're an activist, and now okay. people are gonna, you know, people. The LGBT community is gonna suffer because of it. I'm like, you guys don't need any help. You have the entire world on your side. I don't know why you're like upset about my little book. Yeah, uh, like all of Hollywood is like on your side. There, every movie, every TV show is about, like, has a character who's gay and celebrates it. Like, why are you upset at me?
0: And it's a Christian uh, book for the Christian world. Like the broader world probably won't read yeah. it right? Or Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the first person you mentioned that was we'll trying to get a band, was this from, a, he went to your church. Was he, is he a Christian or in the church? I mean, this is not.
1: No, no, no. Uh, he left. He's no, he's, he's, uh he was never a Christian. Okay. He, um he just kind of went to church for a while and then, um, and then he stopped going. He, he ended up coming out as gay, and uh, and then completely like okay. dismissed Christianity.
0: Okay. And and would he would he try to get every single book on a traditional view of marriage banned, or just yours? I, I don't. This mine
1: well, okay. If you do, you want me to get into the story? Um, a little bit. It's
0: fascinating. <laughs> no, because say it just sounds so fast. I mean, that is that is almost exactly what the nazis they they're, they invented book banning and book burning and you know um, yeah. only promoting
1: one ideology it's just fascinating the how, he, yeah the reason he was so focused on me is when he was coming to my church um with friends he had cuz we all he had these friends that were at my church and he kind of just he grew up in a christian home and he ended up coming out to me as gay, I, and when he came out to me, I was shocked. I had no idea he was gay. I was like stunned. And um, was your gaydar like, oh broken God. or something? I heard gay men really do have a yeah. <laughs> I It was really off. And and then so, but but also at the same time, he came out. We all thought he converted, like he had this conversion to Christianity. It was because he was it was so emotional when he came out and um, I thought we were all under the assumption that he, cause even after he, he came out, he would like tweet these things. Like I love Jesus and I don't care who knows about it. Like, and we were like, Oh my gosh, like he's saved. This is amazing. But what really was happening was the catharsis of him coming out finally, um, after bottling that up for so many years, it felt almost like a religious experience to him
0: hmm.
1: and and I think that's what happened and so the reason and then we were like super close like not super close but we were friends and I we would hang out with him like he and I and this 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 other girl like we would hang out and have coffee and and, and hang out and talk and and we were so excited for him and like and this went on for like 6 months, like we or a year. We would hang out and 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 he um I think he resented me because I was at the time telling I was just very op- I mean I was just open about the idea that homosexuality was a sin. So I think once he realized that he wasn't actually a Christian and once he realized that he was you know, wanted to live as a gay man. um, I think he suddenly like turned on me and got really angry at me Hmm. for just, for just being me, for just being like, you know, who I was. And so when he found out about the book, he got super angry and like tried to get it banned.
0: Well, it's almost, it could be, it could feel like a threat, right? Because your trajectory looks a certain way. Which gives credibility to the possibility of that trajectory, and for somebody that wants to believe that that is impossible, then your very existence becomes a threat to their own. This happens a lot in um, in, in the tr- in the trans community when when somebody detransitions, and which is a growing you know a growing phenomenon. No. Um, and I, and I heard, you know, I hear from a lot of detransitioners who might not even be Christians. They might, you know, whatever, still be lesbian or whatever um, that, you know, man, when they detransition, their story becomes almost like a threat to everybody else that hasn't detransitioned or whatever. So I imagine something similar, um, you know. uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm
1: I'm, in a way, like I'm a walking threat to the (laughs) LGBT community. Like, but it's funny because like, you know, some of my, people who are really mature and who have, don't have insecurities, my, my friends who are mature and well-adjusted, even my like old gay friends still, they don't have any, they have no problem with it. Hmm. Like they're very, they're very supportive of me. They respect me. Hmm. Um, It's only, it's really only the people who are, who are really kind of like, Insecure about their own stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's just that's that's who. That those are the ones who really find it a threat.
0: Interesting. We just have a couple more minutes, but I want to get your feedback on you know our audience. You mentioned in your book that um, you know you gave some advice to pastors, parents, whatever. Could you give a few, you know, big picture pieces of advice to? Um... No, they have to buy
1: the book to get that information. <laughs> As a fellow
0: author, I really appreciate that. No, but give give a uh, chum the waters a little bit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Get the book. What would you say in 2020? Um, What do you want to say to the evangelical church as it is really wrestling with this conversation? A couple
1: things. Uh, number one, okay, I mean, I talk about this in my book. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in exile in Babylon. They were basically commanded to bow down to the culture, right, to the golden statue. They were commanded to bow down to the culture, and if they, they knew that if they didn't, they were going to go into a fiery furnace. And, but they, they, did, they refused to compromise God's word by one iota. They knew what God's word was they knew that they should, were not to bow down to any other god, uh, god but but Yahweh so um they were willing to go into a fiery furnace and I, and i feel like evangelical christians are so terrified of this issue and they're terrified of of coming out as just be, being historic having the historical biblical view of sexuality christian view of sexuality Mm -hmm. that um they they refuse to talk and and i I, it's like genesis 1 because in genesis 1 god speaks gods and god said and god said and god said and god said genesis 2 the man speaks he names all the living creatures genesis 3 the serpent speaks Mm. And the serpent sows doubt in the garden, and the man is silent. And I think that's really what I would tell Christian pastors is fear God than, than more than you fear man. Because what's happening now is Christian pastors are terrified of this subject. They refuse to talk about it from the pulpit or anywhere else. And all the while that's happening satan is just creeping through the churches and sowing doubt on this issue and because the culture is so powerful and we're inundated 24 7 with the lie that homosexuality should be celebrated as good it's good it's good it's, good, it's righteous it's holy it's sacred it, you know it went from a sin to a sacrament over the last 40 years that the church is starting to believe the lie of Satan in the culture that this is not a sin, and and the reason that's so damaging uh, is because it it it's misleading people to I mean basically it's misleading people to hell kind of to to put it bluntly it's like it's you're not and I think. I don't want to say that pastors have blood on their hands but <laughs> but pastors need to be more bold about this issue and not worry about oh my gosh what's going to happen if I mention it if I say it if I speak of it like it's like dude just just talk about it and 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 be real about it cuz this is like a it's, a, it's and it's not and people say, "Well, why why focus just on this sin and not other sins?" And and I, we should focus on all sins. But the the thing is, this sin in particular, as I as we've talked about, has become such a an identity thing, and it's become such a dominant thing in culture. Like Christians in general believe, I think all Christians believe that murder is wrong, right? Still, and I think Christians still believe that adultery is wrong, but. I think now many, many Christians no longer believe that homosexuality is wrong. Mm. Homosexual behavior, if if you wanted to get specific. Um, so I think that's that's what I would like to say to the church, and um, and also just on the on the flip side is if you if there are members in your church who are struggling with this, love them and like come alongside them and and bear their burdens with them and be there for them. And, and, um, that's what the, tr- the body of Christ is for, you know, mm-hmm. and so, and pray for them and, and really just, yeah, help them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and so that's what I would say on the flip side of that. That's the, that's the sweet spot is, is
0: how to, be committed to Scripture and um, unapologetically promote a Christian sexual ethic, which is incredibly countercultural today. While yeah. um, caring for and, and walking alongside and and speaking about it in such a way that does invite people out of the, you know, uh, out of wrestling in private, right? To because re- you can't you can't wrestle with this by yourself. You need to wrestle in the context of a community. So
1: to establish
0: yeah, cultures of grace wrestling-
1: and truth, is not easy. If you're wrestling in private, I always tell people, like, don't wrestle in private because that's where Satan loves to work. He loves to work in the dark. So expose it to the light. Expose what you're going through to the light so that people can pray, can help you and pray for you. And that, you know.
0: Yeah, that's good. Hey, I'm taking you over an hour and I've got another interview come up here in a few minutes. But Beckett, man, I could I could hang out with you all day. You're just you just. You've got this light behind a literal light behind you, <laughs> but but you as a human are just you you exude light and joy and and um you know it's, it, it's, what I love about your story is you know that was eleven years ago your conversion and you you I sense in you just this that joy and passion that you you rarely see in older converts or at least, you know, usually it's like, yeah, first year or two, it's like, Oh, you're on cloud nine and then life sets in. And, but man, I just, you, you have literal light surrounding you, but also spiritual light (laughs) that I just, uh, I just praise God for your contribution for the kingdom and and just pray that, um, yeah, you would keep flourishing in in your ministry. So. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah. Part of that is just, you know, being in the dark for so long, for so many years and then finally getting into the light like it's it's like it's it's, am- it's so amazing that i can't stop being yeah. joyful oh well
0: keep it up man uh thanks right. for being on the show man appreciate it I'm i'll uh, it. I'll, sh- I'll give you a shout out when i release this and you could uh pass it on to whoever
1: all right cool thank you all
0: right god bless Good.